we're going to survey several different passages on the rapture event. I think sometimes the uh, the scope of the two major passages, First Thess four thirteen through eighteen, and also First Corinthians. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one through fifty eight. The scope of those two passages is so broad and so detailed. We forget there's a lot of references to this rapture event, which will initiate the end times, which is an imminent event. Let's define the rapture as the imminent appearing of Christ in the air to resurrect church age believers, including the generation of believers who are alive on earth when he comes in the air. And that event will, in fact, initiate the end times. So the Lord Jesus calls it the end of the age in Matthew 24, 25. So here's our basic baseline chart. We're putting 1 Thess 4, 13 through 18 there because there's that arrow up is represent, representing the rapture of the church. And then chapter 5, 1 through 11 talks about the tribulation. Uh, we are starting with that basic baseline chart of prophecy based on what book of the Bible? Yeah, it's the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John's commission to write on the island of Patmos. Anybody here been to Patmos? Been to Patmos, Savannah? Tell them it's a real place. Really neat island with, with kind of this really narrow isthmus. It's a small island with two big parts. It looks like a dumbbell, you know. And uh, how, how wide is that little isthmus? I mean, a few hundred yards? It's not very wide at all. It, it's just an amazing place to be. Uh, the Romans used it as a, as a kind of an isolation tank. When we say that John was a prisoner of the Romans when he wrote the book of uh, Revelation, they didn't have cells. It wasn't penitentiary. They just got you out of circulation there in the Aegean on this little island. And it was too far to swim, kind of like Alcatraz, you know. So John's commissioned to write it. Chapters 2 and 3, we talk about the churches, 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 churches. After the end of chapter 3, there ain't no more churches. You have the rapture, and you have the seven-year tribulation. You talk about Israel. God continues to have a program for, for humanity, but God has a special place for Israel, and he's not done with Israel. And the New Testament church doesn't replace Israel. Forget that. Don't allegorize your prophecy. Take it literally. What ends the tribulation and brings in the kingdom? That would be the second advent. And we've defined the rapture, and we've said that the rapture is ultimately all about resurrection, the resurrection of New Testament church-age believers. We've said, though, it's important to distinguish between the rapture and the second advent. Uh, Here's an analogy. I haven't heard too many people say this, or maybe anybody, but it, it makes sense to me. The Old Testament prophets talked about the Messiah as a lamb and a lion, and they didn't see the valley between the two aspects because the church was a mystery. So the Old Testament prophets talked about the Messiah's two distinct comings, right? In the same way, the New Testament, I'm convinced, talks about the return of Christ the beginning of the end times, in two phases. You've got 
what Jesus talks about here in my Father's house in many dwelling places. I'm going to heaven where the dwelling places are in the Father's house to prepare a place for you. Uh, I would challenge you when you see passages and promises like that, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, put your name on the blank, okay? In my Father's house in heaven, many dwelling places, I go to prepare a place for Sonia Skinner, for Jeff Skinner. And if I go to prepare a place for you, where is he preparing the places? As long as you say heaven, you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, uh, I go to prepare a place for you in the Father's house in heaven. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am in the Father's house in the prepared place that you may be also. That's not the same thing as the second advent. The rapture is up and away and the resurrection of New Testament church-age believers leading to the tribulation on earth, second advent's down and stay. And we spent a whole study a couple weeks ago distinguishing between the rapture and the second advent. Uh, now, last week, uh, we basically focused on one passage, one of the uh, many passages other than the two major ones, First Thess 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 15 are the major ones. We basically focused on Titus 2, but tonight I want to talk about a, a plethora and just kind of let you expose you to a lot of these passages that deal with the rapture. We just looked at, in addition to 1 Thess 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, we just looked at one in John, John 14, talking about the rapture, right? We've looked at 1 Thess 1, 9, and 10 a lot because I'm convinced Paul basically outlines the three major movements of the book in that introductory statement. Uh, the Thessalonians are new in the faith. Paul had only been there a couple of months with them before he's forced out by persecution. They've had some people die probably from persecution and maybe from natural means since Paul had been there for the two months. Uh, they're wondering, uh, is God blessing us? Is God going to allow these people to miss the resurrection? What's going to happen to, the, these, to us and to them? And so he says, hey, but overall you guys are doing great. And Timothy's visited you and said you're doing fine, but you got some issues. So uh, I'm excited about the fact you've turned to God from the Greco-Roman idols. That's their salvation, chapters 2 and 3. To serve a living and a true God, that's the first part of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, through, uh, through 12. And wait for a son from heaven. That's the rapture event. Right, Danny? Danny, 4, 13 through 18. Whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who's going to rescue us from the orge, from the... Uh, 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 tribulational wrath that Jesus talks about and the book of Revelation talks about so much. So that's kind of a key statement. Then when you get to the end of the book, 1 Thess 5, 9, as he wraps up his discussion of the rapture and the tribulation in this book, he kind of reminds them what he said at the very beginning. For God's not destined us, believers, church-age believers, to go through the wrath of the tribulation, the seven years leading to the second advent, but for obtaining soteria, rescue, deliverance through the coming of Christ in the air. What do we know about the coming of Christ in the air in 1 Thessalonians? Let's read it again. 4, 13 through 18. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, fellow believers, about those believers who have died before the rapture event. They're not going to miss the resurrection. In fact, they're going to get resurrected first. So you will not grieve as you're separated from them, as do the rest unbelievers who have no hope. For 
if we believe that Jesus died and then was resurrected, resurrection's not just consciousness after death, it's your soul going back into your body being transformed. If we believe Jesus died on Friday and was resurrected on Sunday in his physical body, literal bodily supernatural resurrection, even so, God will bring with him the souls of those who have left the body, been with the Lord, but haven't gotten their bodies yet at the rapture event. For here's what we're going to tell you. By the word of the Lord, this is not debatable. It's going to happen. We who are alive on the earth, the generation alive when Christ comes back and remain until this parousia, is the Greek term there, the rapture event, will not proceed, will not get our resurrection bodies until the believers who've died before us in the church age get their bodies. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ will be resurrected first, those who have died before the rapture event. whose souls went to be with the Lord, now they get resurrected all over the, the planet Earth, wherever their remains are. And then, and it only takes a millisecond for that to happen, then we who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. In Latin, that's rapturo, which we get rapture from, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air because we're going to the prepared places. And thus we'll always be with the Lord, so comfort one another with those words. So, you know, First Thess 4, 1 Corinthians 15, those are major passages. John 14 tends to stick in your mind. That's really important. Uh, since First Thess 4 is so important, remember the first and last part of the book deals with that. But there are other passages too. And I talk about this one a lot because I really love it. Revelation 22, uh, Revelation, uh, yeah, 22, uh, verse 12 chapter 22. And uh, you know, I had the pleasure of writing my PhD dissertation uh, on the, uh, uh, the uh, structure, meaning, and function of the prologue and the epilogue of the book of Revelation. Now, I know that sounds like a blockbuster movie to you people, and I'm waiting for Steven Spielberg to, to get the, uh, the rights, but uh, wh- what... Uh, I really feel like the Lord helped me see this, but in fact, the structure of the first uh, section of the book of Revelation and the very last section, and 2212 is part of the last section, have exactly the same macro literary structures called a macro chiasm. And a lot of the skeptics want to see somebody kind of adding stuff, an editor and a redactor kind of adding stuff at the end of the beginning, and they'll say the end doesn't have any structure. But you see that, in fact, uh, God and John wrote a beautiful passage here, and it fits and lines up exactly with the very beginning of the book. So he ends kind of where he, he started. But look at verse 12. Jesus is quoted here in this context, and he says, Behold, and when Jesus says, Behold, you better behold. Really, Tommy, I'd say anytime he says anything, you better listen. When he says, behold, it means it's really important. So behold, I'm coming quickly. Uh, that's not an adverb, that's a prepositional phrase, entake, not entaco. You get that at Taco Bell. Entake means with speed or rapidly or suddenly. Uh, he calls it like a thief in the night. You know, a thief doesn't say, hey, Michael, I'm thinking about stealing all the stuff in your garage. Would uh, you give me a, some kind of convenient time when I can come over and just kind of load it all up and move it, you know? They come without warning when you're not expecting it, right? Behold, I'm coming suddenly, uh, rapidly when it happens. No warning. 
and my reward. Misthos is the Greek word there. Uh, charismata is what salvation is said to be. It's a gift. Misthos is something you earn. It's a paycheck. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. We're not saved based on what we've done, but we are going to be rewarded for what we do. I emphasize this a lot. Once you see it, it's all over the Scripture. Jesus talks about it a lot. He says stuff like, uh, uh, beware uh, the leaven of the Pharisees. They're going to have a stricter judgment. They've had more light. They should know better, and they're going to be held accountable. In the same sense, there'll be levels of commendation and reward for believers. There are going to be levels of condemnation and reproach for unbelievers. And God will judge unbelievers based on the light they've had and rejected. And I'm convinced that if people are positive to whatever light they get through general revelation, God's going to get enough light so they're going to become savable. But he's talking here about he just can't wait to give out his rewards. I'm coming suddenly in the event where church age believers are given their rewards after Christ evaluates what you did and why you did it. Right? It's called good, good works. It's called the judgment seat of Christ because the word judgment is in there. We kind of, oh my goodness, judgment. But we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west. And by the way, how far is that? Psalm 103. He's removed our transgressions from us as far as our standings concerned. This is not uh, a judgment. It's an evaluation. Uh, uh, Bema, and, and Homer's been to Corinth, and they had a Bema where they would uh, judge and, re, and, and kind of discern uh, things about the citizens and their conduct. But uh, judgment seat of Christ, you could call it the evaluation seat of Christ. Uh, the longer I teach speech at Cameron, the more I'm sincerely trying to find stuff to like in these speeches. But next week, talking about Tabor's got a big uh, test, right? Uh, this week or next week? Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, t- tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, next week is the, the most important speech. It's the next to the last speech, but the department makes us... Uh, weight it more for internal evaluation purposes. It's called a uh, persuasive speech on the question of policy. And uh, as the coach, teacher, and personal fitness instructor for all those people, uh, I face next week with fear and trembling. But, uh, yeah, I I honestly try to find stuff to like, and uh, sometimes it's hard. And I think that's good for pastors, too. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to do that. I'm basically trying to find stuff to like. But, uh, yeah, I really think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I don't believe in double jeopardy. I don't think he's going to bring up our sins at the judgment of Christ to the extent we've wasted time and money being selfish and stupid. That's going to limit our potential of stuff for him to like and commend. But I think, uh, as he says, if you even give somebody a glass of water in my name, you're not going to lose your reward for that. And I used to think of some dramatic event where Julie kind of hacks her way through the bush and finds a missionary who's dying and gives him a canteen of water and saves his life. And I think this is more just Rick's doing something to fix the church around and say, hey, you want a glass of water? And he grabs it, drinks it. He doesn't remember it very long, and I don't remember it at all. I just hand him a glass of water. But I did it for the right reason. Jesus is saying, I'll reward that. I'll bring up all this stuff. Can you imagine how much cool stuff there is in the life of somebody like Pam Cox? 
that she doesn't even remember doing. Angie Lovett, I mean, when you've got a heart like Angie, man, uh, it's, it's awesome. I enjoy listening to you pray, my sister. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, he's gonna, and, and the point is, the judgment of Christ event, which Paul describes where? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, 5, uh, takes place in heaven right after the rapture. It's like Jesus can't wait to give Danny his rewards. And we tend to think, well, about, what about the time I didn't do that, or I lied about that, or I forgot about that, or they didn't like the thing I did there, and I tried to be a smart aleck, and they're trying to be funny, and they never got over it. Uh, I don't think stuff like that comes up. I think he's trying to find, uh, Brad, uh, you, you did the best you could, and boy, uh, that one Easter in 2015, you really emphasized the resurrection, and I appreciate that. So we're going to put a star by your name there. I really think he's going to try to find stuff to like, and I think about it, a grandfather now. Uh, I realize my kids, I realize everybody thinks their grandkids are special and unique, but mine really are. And uh, But you know what? Cooper's not perfect. Lincoln does some weird things. Vivian throws stuff in his crib at night to get him in trouble. <laughs> They're all little depraved sinners, you know? But when I look at those kids, I don't think of the worst thing I've caught them doing. And I've caught them doing a few sketchy things. I just think about all the cool things they do and how great they are and how much I love them. And I think that's the way the Lord's going to evaluate Savannah's Christian life and Daryl's Christian life. More importantly, my Christian life. But when he says, I'm coming quickly, that can't be the second advent. Why can't that be the second advent? That's not quickly. We're here. We're at least seven and a half years away or seven something years away, aren't we? Right? So it can't be suddenly without uh, any other intervening events. Look at the next to the last verse of the whole Bible. He who testifies to these things says, and this is, as he says at the beginning of the book, the revelation is the testimony of Jesus about how he's going to end history on God's terms. And Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly, suddenly. I'm going to start the initiate the end times without warning, rapture event. John then re responds, amen. What does the word amen mean? So be it. John says, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's a reference. Anytime you're coming quickly, it's got to be the rapture. It can't be the second advent. Now, you know, uh, if uh, you're an unbeliever, when the rapture happens, you enter the tribulation uh, seven years later. Yeah, it could happen quickly, depending on uh, the, how the Daniel 9 prophecy plays out. Uh, and you probably won't be privy to exactly when the clock starts, but there's seven years based on the uh, Daniel 7 prophecy. But that's what that is. Uh, Philippians 3. This is often overlooked in this discussion about the, uh, the rapture. But this is a beautiful uh, description of the dynamics of the rapture in a motivational context. In the middle of this book, as you know, Philippians is all about uh, unity and steadfastness. Those are the two big keys of the book. Now, why would he have to write a book to a, a, a little Bible church in, uh, um, in Macedonia about unity? Because they didn't always have the unity they should have. How do I know that? Well, he says in chapter 4, Beloved brethren, stand firm in the Lord. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, why is he writing that in the New Testament? Why is he urging Euodia and Syntyche to get along? You know why? Because Euodia and Syntyche aren't getting along. 
And they're probably both great people, but they just have personality conflict. So he's, and by the way, euodia means success, and syntyche means lucky. Okay? So lucky and success weren't getting along, and unity and steadfastness is what the book's all about. But look what we're talking about here, chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He says, uh, for our citizenship, and as somebody who loves the United States and bleeds red, white, and blue, and trembles when I think about uh, the social, spiritual dynamics of our culture, and man, people call good evil and evil good. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's scary, you know. Uh, on the whole, um, a lot of the issues we used to deal with uh, were seen as moral issues. Now they're being seen as civil rights issues. And if you frame it that way, we lose every time. Just like on the, the creation evolution thing, if you frame that as religion versus science, we're going to lose every time. It's not religion versus science. It's two different kinds of science. You've got process science, which is 99% of science. And then you've got, or, or operation science, let's call it. And then you've got origin science, which is forensic. And there's two different basic ways you can interpret everything. And, and, but our side gets excluded. But anyway, for our citizenship isn't just in the United States of America, which is an exceptional country. And I've taught intercultural communication at the college level. I know all the cultures have their weaknesses and strengths, but I think we're special just like I just told you, my grandkids are special, so I've got no bias whatsoever here. Our citizenship is in heaven, you know, prepared places, heaven, kind of thing, from which also we await a Savior. That's where he manifests his reality at the right hand of the throne of God uh, since the ascension, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of Brad McCoy's humble state or Rick Schonemeyer's humble state or... Patty Kasparite's humble state, in a conformity with the body of his glory. We talked about the resurrection body in 1 Corinthians 15 Sunday morning, remember? Now, how's that going to happen? In a laboratory? <laughs> no, it's supernatural. By the, exertion, by the exertion of the power, the dunamis, kind of supernatural power, he has even to subject all things to himself. When are church-age believers going to have their bodies transformed from the humble state into conformity with the body of Christ's resurrection body at the rapture event, right? So that's a, a reference to the rapture that sometimes we miss. We talked about Titus 2 last time, and just in 45 seconds to summarize what we saw there last time, it's a wonderful passage that talks about the rapture, describes it as our blessed hope, a blessing to anticipate and look forward to, not to hope it might happen, but to look forward to and count on it happening in God's time. It will happen. It's coming. Uh, and then he says, uh, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And the Greek grammar there makes it very clear, it's undeniable that the title great God and the title Savior are not talking about two different people, God the Father and the Savior Jesus Christ, but one person. God and Savior are both grammatically superglued to Christ Jesus in that construction. Nobody denies that. A lot of people on the left just deny it's, it's true, but they can't deny the Greek is saying that Paul is saying Jesus is our Savior and Jesus is our great God, talking about the deity of Christ. But that uh, thing that motivates us 
part of the thing that motivates us is looking forward to the imminent appearing of Christ. The grace of God has appeared, brings salvation to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles and men and women and rich and poor, instructing us who have received salvation through faith to, as believers, deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present church age, looking for the event that will end the present age and start the end times. That is the rapture event, the first Thess 4 event, the first Corinthians 15 event, the, Rome, the uh, John 14 event, right? Um, that is the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, the second person of the ontological trinity who gave himself on the cross for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. As far as the east is from the west, we don't go to the judgment seat of Christ as sinners, but as saints. He's not looking for stuff to condemn. He's looking for stuff to commend. Is that amazing? And you understand that's really powerfully motivating, I think, because every little thing, you can clean up a back room and not make a big deal about it. Nobody notices or cares because Jesus knows you do it for the right reason. It's going to be rewardable. If you've got to insist on you getting an Academy Award every time you do something, maybe it's not as rewardable, you know? Uh, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> Purify for himself and people for his own possessions, zealous for good works. Uh, James talks about the uh, judges standing right at the door. But let me end with 1 John. And we've surveyed several different passages and hope you just are more aware of the fact that this is uh, what they call a motif, you know, a major sub-theme in the New Testament, this imminent coming of Christ, which is different than the second advent that ends the tribulation leads to the millennium. But look at 1 John 2, 28-3-3. And let me start in chapter 3, verse 1. And this is wonderful stuff. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us because we, Amanda Birch, is a child of God. How good is that? We're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, he says in Galatians. But this is incredible. God has not only given us eternal life, he's adopted us into his family. Huh? For this reason, the world, unbelievers, doesn't understand us. It doesn't understand him. Let me say that again. I repeat. Beloved, now, we, Dale and Debbie Corbin, Tommy and Angie Lovett, uh, David and Julie Demerson, are children of God right now. And it's only going to get better. It has not yet appeared yet as what we will be. We know that when he appears at the rapture event in his glorified body, guess what? We're going to be like him. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to get a resurrection body like Jesus Christ has. And we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope, looking forward to this, you're anxiously, you're abiding in Christ. You're recognizing and responding to the person of Christ, not just obeying a bunch of rules, but loving a ruler who's first your savior Everyone has this hope fixed on him, not on Dallas Seminary or Brad or Tangled Bible Fellowship or a list of rules. We have our hope fixed on him as we live a Christian life. We're going to purify ourselves. We're going to do the right things for the right reasons. That's the good stuff. Now let's go back to verse 28. Now little children. You know why he calls them little children? Are they all little kids? Because they're children of God. And he's going to tell them how great that is. Don't, don't ever forget that. Gene never got over becoming adopted in God's family. You know, uh, 
Ryrie used to tell, Dr. Ryrie used to say, when I speak to groups that don't know me, I always get up and pull up, the larger the group, the better. I'll say, how many of you are adopted? And you have a few people, you know, raise their hands. He said, how many believers are here? Like 90% of them said, don't you realize all of you have been adopted? You've been adopted in God's family. Little children, abide in him. So when he appears at the rapture event, we may have confidence and not shrink away. Is it possible for Christians to do shameful things? Have you ever done anything you're ashamed of as a Christian? Well, I, I tell you what, your homework this week is list them all and get it notarized, and I'm going to put it in a safe and use it against you someday. Now, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we've all done things we're not proud of and we're probably ashamed of, and we know the Lord knows about it. But, you know, if you're a stinking drunk coming out of some kind of uh, orgy at, when Christ comes back, it's going to be embarrassing, among other things, you know? That's what he's saying, you know? Uh, one of the things, that, this is a comforting hope, it's also a convicting hope, right? Uh, if you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is expressing the fact they really are born of him. When we don't do that, we conceal who we really are. But here's the thing. We are children of God. You don't have to be good to become, Cooper doesn't have to be a good boy to be Jamie's son, or more importantly, my grandson. He just is, and nothing changes that. But the quality of the fellowship between, and listen, it, it, Jamie, Jamie's a tough guy. He's much mental, more mentally tough than I am. But the enforcer at his house is Kristen. She runs a tight ship with those kids. And when Cooper doesn't live up to expectations, I think in a very appropriate level way, she lets him know that that's not, not right and he shouldn't do it. So when he is disobedient or unkind to his brother, and he can be unkind to his brother, uh, that affects the quality of the fellowship that mom has with Cooper during time out and also, you know, the uh, God gave you extra padding somewhere. I know that that's not politically correct anymore, but it sure gets their attention. you got to limit it. I firmly believe in capital uh, capital punishment. Not... <laughs> I do believe in that too, but uh, I believe in corporal punishment. I think I used it three times on Jamie and once on Jonathan. So I wasn't like I was doing it for jaywalking or anything. But uh, yeah, it affects the quality of fellowship. But that, that little lady, I knew she was going to be a good mother. I can't, I'm amazed at what a wonderful world-class mother Kristen is. And I've told her that. I knew you'd be good. You're good at everything. But man, you are unbelievably good, man. It's incredible. But uh, she doesn't think Cooper hung the moon or can, can do no wrong. She, she lets him know where the limits are, uh, but uh, he's her child, and we're children of God in the same way. He loves us, and I think looking forward to his imminent return should encourage us and also convict us to be doing the right things. Uh, well, what if the rapture doesn't happen for another thousand years? Doesn't matter. You're only one heartbeat away anyway. You could hit get hit by a bus tomorrow. Or, or find out you've got a brain aneurysm, and I hope it doesn't happen. And then what? I'm going to close in prayer now, but what was, it? was it three Wednesday nights ago? You know, just as we were about to leave, everybody's phone is blowing up because we got like a tornado heading this way, we thought. So you, we live in Oklahoma. you got to be tough to live in Oklahoma. And there are all kinds of things that can take you out in Oklahoma. You realize that? You've got tornadoes, wildfires, earthquakes, what? Trains. <laughs> what up? <laughs> Well, we get that torn. That's it. Drought. Yeah. 
So to me, I, I think Bible prophecy is very practical. And if you look at these passages, they're all connected with some kind of positive exhortations about uh, godly living. Okay, comments or questions real quick before we close. All right. No? We're good? Okay. Um, tell you what, Michael, dismiss us in prayer tonight, would you please?